Welcome to the Redeemer Coast podcast. Our prayer is that this message will inspire hope, build your faith, and encourage you with God's purposes for your life. Praise God. So, uh, we read, uh, Christine read for us a, a verse from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, I think it was, and where Paul says, Paul uh, says to Timothy to stir, up, to stir up the gift of God that is within you so that he could fulfill the call of God on his life. And uh, the, um, the word there that he's using uh, means to fan up. Uh, is anyone a, f- a, a fan of Survivor? Yep, okay. So I think the second or third last episode of Survivor, they had to light a fire, all right? And uh, one of those the guys who didn't do anything all camp, and so he never learned to light the fire. He, he, he lost the challenge because he couldn't light a fire. Evidently, we are to fan up the call and the gift of God within us. Um, and that is the same word as used to fan a fire. So you've got this little ember that God has placed in your life. And if we don't get down there and go, <laughs> and fan it, it will die. And that is a scary thought. We need to practice fanning. So these next few, few weeks, we're going to start fanning up the call of God on our lives. Who's excited? I'm excited. Praise God. I'm working through a book um, by Bishop N.T. Wright, uh, N.T. Wright, and it's like an 800-page booklet uh, book. I've got it in PDF form, and uh, so I'm just working my way through it. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and his point is that most of the church has has dealt with the resurrection like it's an end, rather than it being a beginning. So here in Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 1, there's a very interesting little verse. It says this, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven. So this is Luke, who has just written, it's really one, one text Uh, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and Acts is like part two. But he says this, the first book I wrote, Theophilus, was all that Jesus began to do from when he was baptized to when he rose from the dead. I find that interesting because like after he rose, up until he ascended, and yet Luke very much was aware that that was just the beginning all the things that Jesus began to do. Which means that even now, though he's ascended, there's all the other things that Jesus is doing. Do you get that? I find it interesting that even, that especially Luke realized that the first one was, the first book I wrote, was all the things Jesus had begun to do up to his saved. Now this one is the continuation of the things that Jesus did. But hang on, Jesus is at the right hand of God. 
So how was Jesus doing these things in Acts? Well, it's not rocket science, guys. He's doing them through us. The ministry and the call of God that was on Jesus is the ministry or the call of God that was on us. But so many of us um, view the resurrection and the ascension like, um, like Krakenite. You know, it's like all these puzzled looks, like Krakenite. Linda goes, Dan goes, Anyone, like we used to live in Sydney, we had a little house on, in Hunters Hill and then New Year's Eve, uh, some New Year's Eve's dad would take us out and we'd find a nice spot overlooking the harbour and we'd get there early and put out the blankets and, and all that and we'd, 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 we'd be there for, for the fireworks on New Year's Eve and because they'd all go up and first one would go off, we'd, we'd be there for the uh, early ones because we were just kids, you know, the first ones go, ooh. And they ah, ooh, ah, you know, and now they've got music to go with them. You've seen all this beautiful, you know, like music pounds away, and and then the harbour bridge rains down like this, and everyone, everyone around it's like it's who can say the loudest oohs and a Ah, you know, ooh, ah, we're ooh and ah in a way, and then when it's bedtime, 10 o'clock, then it just stops. All the oohs and ahs die away. Well, for a lot of us, our Christian life is like that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ are the oohs and the ahs. We get saved, we get wonderfully saved, and then all of a sudden, over the next few months, the oohs and ahs just die off, and there's no more who's nice about the life of God in us. And don't feel bad, guys. It's not just us. It was the disciples. But the good news is we can have fireworks. <laughs> we can have the oohs and ahs. Praise God. It's, it's not just us. You remember in, um, in uh, just following on from that, uh, Peter gets up and he, and he preaches uh, the first spirit-filled message and thousands of people get saved. But what about Peter? Peter thought the fireworks were gone after the resurrection. In fact, I think it's uh, John chapter 21. He says to the boys, he says, let's go fishing. And that happens to a lot of us as Christians. So we get saved, get filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues a few times, raise our hands, bring a few friends to the Lord, and that's it. Then we decide we're going to go fishing. <laughs> I'm going fishing. We put that sign on our door. You know, once upon a time, we have, used to have all these Bible verses on the back of our toilet, right? Right? Didn't you? All the ones, your promises that you believe in God for on the back of our, back of our bathroom door. And now we've just put up this sign, I've gone fishing. But Jesus had another plan, didn't he? Because we know that Peter went out, went fishing. And sometimes you think you can stretch meaning in stories, but I'm sure that they knew exactly. John knew this story. John was recounting this story in John chapter 1, knew exactly what the meaning was. Because Peter and the disciples went out fishing. And what happened? They labored all night and caught nothing. Isn't that funny? They're going fishing. And sometimes it feels like that in our Christian life, that we get distracted, back return to the things of the world, and we start laboring and laboring, and in the end we just get that, that gnawing feeling that we're just not being fulfilled anymore. 
We'd been married. Oh no, the eyebrow goes up. <laughs> We'd been married four years, uh, so 87 we were married. In 1991 I went on an ICF camp and Linda and I were house parents for an ICF camp at an Anglican school down in Canberra. And it's an amazing thing, you know, when you... Uh, and, and to be honest, to be frank, I'm always honest, but to be frank... I'm not really frank, I'm Grant, but I'm pretending, <laughs> pretending to be frank, you understand. Um, that <laughs> things just get a bit cold. You know, but the ICF leaders had asked us to be, uh, ICF leaders at the school had asked us to be camp parents, so we went and were camp parents, which means then you really, you've got to get up and read your Bible. You're camp parents, you've got to get up and read your Bible in the morning because you're setting a model for these teenagers. This is spiritual, get up and read your Bible. So I got up and read my Bible. And they were there for the Bible studies. And so, has anyone noticed that when you spend time with God, that, whoa, he's there? <laughs> Whoa. Oh, God showed up. <laughs> it's just funny every time I spend God with him, he shows up. You know, why can't you be here when I'm not spending time? Why can't you be here when I've gone fishing? You know, I spent uh, and and this sense, and I hadn't felt it since I was a young kid, started to well up in me, and I just remember after about the second day of camp, I just had to run out in that bush, and I just found myself. I didn't know whether I was crying or laughing or what because I just realized that there was still that call in me. And it was at that stage, 1991, that I think I came back and told you we're supposed to go to Bible college and God's got a call in our lives. And at that stage, we were thinking it was to go to at Raymer at Perth. But it was at that stage I realized that, that uh, God hadn't forgotten my address. The fireworks weren't over, you know. So Peter goes fishing, of course, doesn't, doesn't get anything. And then <laughs> Jesus is standing on the shore and Jesus says to him, just try the other side. Just try the other side, you know, just try it like my way. <laughs> try my way, you know. Just try, like, you know, the resurrection, the fireworks didn't end at the resurrection, guys. The fireworks would go on. This fruitful life that God called us for, that Peter must have thought it's all over. The disciples must have thought it's all over. That's it. He's come. He's risen from the dead. What do we do? Let's go fishing. I suppose I've got nothing else to do. Let's go fishing. Buy a four-wheel drive, go fishing. Nothing wrong with four-wheel drives. Um, I think I want one. <laughs> but... Uh, he was fishing because he caught nothing. And then he, he pulls them out because uh, when, when he pulls the fish up, the net from where Jesus said it was, because it was laden with fish and he had to drag it under the shore and all the disciples rush up to Jesus. And what does Peter do? He goes back and counts the fish. Like you're thinking, this Jesus <laughs> rose from the dead. All right, He rose from the dead. And, and uh, his, uh, you know, the power is there. He says, fish. Fish on the other side, and he pull, and he pulls it out. He goes, and Jesus is over there ministering to the rest of the disciples. What's Peter doing? One, two, three. He's counting them. I think from memory, it's like 153. You can look it up. Sorry, I look at. It, I think it's 150, 148, 153. Or something. You must have the Amplified Bible. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got the number. And of course, John's back there. Like, Peter, this is embarrassing. You know, they're counting the fish. And Peter going, 141, 142. I mean, how else are you going to remember? I mean, John was one of the last Gospels written. It must have been a deal that his number of fish 
that he caught. And Peter, Peter's thinking, now I can handle this resurrection power. <laughs> How I know what you're talking about. You got to save. You rose from the dead, Jesus, so I could make a mint fishing. Yeah. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? God wants you to catch fish. And I believe in prosperity. But we're not here to make mints on fishing. We're here to become fishers of men. Amen? And Jesus said, I'm going to make this all too clear. And he called Peter over and he said, Peter, so you picture this. The disciples are there. John's there like this because he thinks, I'm going to write a gospel in a few years. I need to hear everything he says like this. You know, because they're taking notes on like this. 143 fish. I'm going to write a gospel. All right. So I need to hear what he says. You know. <laughs> He says, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Uh-huh. Or what? What was the subject? The subject was 140-something fish. Do you love me more than these? Peter couldn't bring himself to the agape, you know, word of love because, you know, he was probably still getting over the fact that he denied Jesus three times. He said, you know I love you, Lord. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. There's a higher call for you, Peter. I didn't get resurrection power so you could speak to the waves and make those fish jump in. Yeah, sure, to pay for your ministry. Feed my sheep. And he asked him again, do you love me, Peter? He said, tend. And Peter again said, you know I love you. Again, he used the uh, filiae word, not the agape word. And he said, well, tend my sheep. And then he said to him again, do you love me, Peter? And Peter, and, and, but the third time Jesus said he used the same word Peter did. It's just like saying, okay, I'll just meet you where you are. You know what I mean? I'll meet you where you are. I'll still use you. But Peter wasn't the only one. I, I love it. In Acts chapter 1, further on, it talks about everyone there was, that was there uh, at the, in, the Pentecost, at the, in the Pentecost room um, when the Holy Spirit came down. There was 120 there um if you could be taken back in time really where would you what when like if you had to be taken back in time i'd seriously i think i would go from like the last few weeks if i had two months to after the resurrection to pentecost i mean what when who's with me on that i mean really but it's an interesting verse there because it says the disciples were there and it names them. And then it says, and, and the women who are there, because there was women that travelled with them. Some of them were very wealthy. They supported the ministry. Uh, we think that's how they knew how they knew about uh, what was happening in Herod's court because, um, because uh, you know, the, there was one of the wives was uh, the wife of one of the high officials there. And then it says, and Mary and her sons was there. Now, Mary and her sons. Now, you know that Jesus had brothers, all right? I'm sorry if you're Catholic. I'm not sorry if you're Catholic, but I'm sorry that if it's news to you. He had brothers and sisters, okay? And from memory, in, in, it talks about them in, um, we're introduced to them in Luke, in uh, John chapter 6, where Mary comes with the brothers to get Jesus, to get, get Jesus out of this craziness because Jesus is in a house healing people. And so Mary comes with his brothers and they say, they're there, they want to talk to you. And Jesus said, well, who's my, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? It says there was James and it says there was, um, one's name's um, Peter. 
Uh, and one's name's Judas. <laughs> no, not that Judas, you know. And I think another name's Jacob. There's four of them. You know, and, then, and we'll introduce them at another time when Jesus was going to, in John also, when Jesus was going to go down to, or didn't want to go down at this stage to, to the feast in Jerusalem. And the brothers come up to him and they say, well, Jesus, you know, why don't you go down because all the prophets should go down to Jerusalem. You know, they go, you're a prophet. Ah, you know, so this is... These are the brothers, you know, who tried to pull him out of the ministry and then mocked him when he thought he was a prophet, you know, and, and they're there with Mary um, at, in the upper room. Who knows that was an interesting conversation that Mary had with her boys? <laughs> Can you, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall for that conversation? Seriously? It's like, you know, I don't know if they were down. We know Mary was at the, resurre- at the, um, at the uh, crucifixion, probably the resurrection. Uh, but we're, but we're the other boys. I can see Mary after Jesus rose from the dead. Right, I'm going back. I'm going home. I'm going to get those boys. Can you imagine going home and you know some of the ones you know sawing away at the wood and building a house like that? She comes out. And goes, James, come here. <laughs> we're going to Jerusalem. <laughs> you know, Judas, come here. We're going to Jerusalem. We're sitting down here. You stop there. And imagine the look on their face when they saw Jesus risen from the dead. And they got this understanding that the fireworks weren't over. The fireworks weren't over for them. The fireworks were to continue them. We don't know about Judas or uh, Peter, but we know the other one was Jude. So Jude, we believe, wrote the book of Jude. Jude became pastor. James became the pastor, wrote the book of James, we believe, became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Fireworks went over. Fireworks aren't over for, for you and for me. The resurrection's the beginning, guys. It's the beginning of God's call on our lives. He saved us for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. And we can walk away or we can... Stir it up. And it's so easy just to let the world, just the call of the world come and just settle down on us and ignore that God has, we're not saved. Okay, we've been saved. You rose from the dead. Sit now. We sit here and twiddle our thumbs till we die and go to heaven. It don't work like that. And I don't care how young you're old, how, how young you are, how young you're old. <laughs> and I don't care how old you're young. Because really, what, what we, you think about this, uh, if we die before the Lord comes, well, we're still going to be in his ministry team when he comes back to rule and reign on the earth, aren't we? Uh-huh. We're just going to be a bit wiser than these ones that were alive. In fact, we're going to come back first, those of us that die before the Lord comes. And we still have ministry to do in the millennium. We're just sitting here thinking, oh, well, the Lord comes back, that'll be it. We'll let Jesus do all the work in the millennium. No. Chances are, if you're living on the Sunshine Coast, when the Lord comes back, that's where he's going to have you in ministry when, you, when he rules and reigns on the earth. That's why you might want to move from places that are cold and far away. <laughs> Did I hear that? <laughs> Did I hear that, Lord? <laughs> going to be there for a millennium. No, I'll probably have you moving around in, anyway, out in the mission field. Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because it's bigger than us, guys. It's bigger than us. Turn me to Jeremiah chapter 1. Now, Jeremiah, like, we think we've got it tough. <laughs> Jeremiah had it tough. But in many ways, uh, what's happening with Jeremiah is very similar to what's happening at, at here now with us. I mean, you know, years ago when I was going through, through school, you know, like, uh, they would read the Bible at school assemblies. And they'd say the Lord's Prayer. Anyone remember that? Yeah, they'd say the Lord's Prayer. Now you get kicked out, you lose your job. So Jeremiah uh, was in a similar time to us. But God had plans for Jeremiah's life, and he's young. And I find it interesting what God says to Jeremiah, and we can meditate on it for us, because there's a specific call, of course, on Jeremiah's life, which is not our call. But God has a specific call on our life. And he's no respect of persons. He's not going to pay more attention uh, or give you know, more, more, more privileges to one of his children than another. So he says this to Jeremiah. He says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. And I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Did you know God knew us intimately before we were even conceived? Well, how can that happen? Well, I don't know. I'm not God. Ask him. But I figure it's a little bit like this. You know, I figure that it's a little bit like um, a novelist writing a play. And he knows the characters that are going to appear later in the play, knows them intimately, and writes that play in accordance. So God knows you, you, and you, and you, and you, and us. Say, God knew me. Say, God knew me. God knew me before I was born. We built a house down in Jerobomba, which is Jerobomba is just outside of, of Canberra. Everyone say Jerobomba. Jerobomba. It's Aboriginal. It's an Aboriginal word, yeah. It's Aboriginal for place hard to pronounce. So it's, um, uh, and we, we built this uh, little unit, a uh, two-bedroom unit on one side, two-bedroom unit on the other side for, for Linda's mother. And uh, we went to a supposed architect to draw up this unit, and we only had a certain budget we could work within, and we wanted two lovely rooms upstairs and this, that, and the other. And he couldn't work it out. You remember, he couldn't work it out so that we could have the stairs and two bedrooms and an ensuite en en upstairs. So Linda and I, mostly Linda, sat down over a couple of nights and drew plans, and we worked it out that if we actually sunk the lounge by two steps, all right, and then put a little turn at the door to go up to that, which meant the door, because we actually we wanted a sunken lounge, so that the stairs would go uh, up. There'd be two less stairs, and so then we'd have time. And if we had room upstairs for a nice landing, and and the kids' room one side, our room the other, and and there wasn't room for the doors, but we worked out if we angled just that little bit from the top of the door, the top of the stairs to the door wall, just like that, then we'd actually get those doors in. And who knows that we knew that building before it even hit the plans, before the, we knew it. And God knew us before we were born. If you had the pleasure of having a child, who knows you know that child? 
you know, we had a, a miscarriage. It was our second child where Linda had a miscarriage. And it was so devastating. Who's, you know, why it's so devastating? Because we knew that child. We knew that child. And God knew us like that. And it says he consecrated us. He said, guys, this is bigger than us. As soon as we make it about us, we get into trouble. I notice these verses here. He said, God says to him, I knew you. I consecrated you. I appointed you. And we make this life about us. That's what Jeremiah says. Well, what can I do? Because I'm just young. And then God says, don't you say you can't do it. I will give you the words. It's just this big to and fro between God and Jeremiah going, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And I can't. That's right. It's God's call. It's bigger. It's bigger than us. So much bigger than us. And now we, it can be scary. And, and yes, we can't do it. But as soon as we realize that it's not about us, it's about him. You know? I remember I saw a little meme once about someone said, well, I'm not getting much out of worship in church anymore. And then the answer was, that's because it's not about you, it's about him. <laughs> it's the call of God's bigger than us. And it's, it's meaningful and it means it, it, it's a life of purpose. It's, 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 it's something to live for besides what the world tells us is value and it's it's and for all of us he has a plan for all of us he has a purpose in life which he knew beforehand and he planned out for us to fulfill and who knows it doesn't happen automatically just turn to colossians Interesting verses. We, we just I mentioned them at hanging out the other night, but there's interesting verses at the end of Colossians, where the Apostle Paul is going back through the lives of some of the people who are with him. There's a few little windows into people's lives in this that help us realize that they were dealing with it just like us. All right. First one is this. Verse ten. Aristarchus, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark. Barnabas's cousin Mark sends you his greetings. Well, you know the story of Mark. Mark went with him. Uh, I think it was the first missionary journey. Went with Paul on the first missionary journey, and he left Paul as soon as it started to get. He got a bit homesick, and he left him. Second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take Mark. And Paul said, no, I, uh, you know, we, we can't have someone that's going to leave us halfway. Uh, years ago, I went across to um, Nigeria to visit with Archbishop Benson Idahosa. I don't know if you heard of Archbishop Benson Idahosa. He had hundreds of churches through Nigeria. And I stayed there about six weeks. I got homesick and I came back. And I've often thought, what would have happened if I stayed? And I, I actually think I probably missed it. Or if, I mean, it was hard. I tell you, it was hard because I was living 
with uh, you know the Africans, the Nigerians, the lovely people. And it was hard, but you know, the last week I was there, Reinhard Bonnke was there. I don't know if you heard Reinhard Bonnke was there for about 10 days. I spent just over a week with him. And um, I remember him walking, and I was staying with some English missionaries. He walked in, typical Nigerian fashion, no one, no one was there to meet him at the airport. So he caught a taxi, he walked into the unit I was staying with, and I was there just in my shorts, and I was, I was ironing a shirt for a meeting that he was going to speak at, and he walks in, uh, you know, I hear a knock on the door, I said, come in, and in walks Reinhard Bonnke. And he came up to me and he says, hello, my name is Reinhard Bonnke. Those of you that don't know Reinhard Bonnke, had an amazing massive he had the largest tent in the world for many years he his claim was we're going to chris we're going to cross the the whole of africa with the blood of jesus he came and he said my name is reinhard bonke and uh and i said yes sir i know who you are <laughs> I said, my name is grant <laughs> <laughs> i had a week with him they ran a little mini crusade out there and the end of the week as uh, he uh, i was leaving before he was leaving i mean like who what 22 year old in their right mind i would now i'd cancel that ticket right and he pulled me aside and he said grant i need to tell you this he said anyone can have a dream anyone can have a vision but you have to do it just do it now someone was there from nike and they thought that's a good saying (laughs) (laughs) and so mark was a lot like that you know mark missed it i reckon he missed it and paul didn't want to take him again but here we see in the colossians that mark has returned in fact paul wrote to timothy and he said send me mark send me mark because I have need for him. Now, you might think you've missed God's call, but the gifts and callings of God, the Bible says, are without revocation. God doesn't take them back. You can turn your back on them. You can ignore them. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot fan them alive, but God doesn't take them back. And then at the end of that, just second last verse, there's a guy called Archippus. Verse 17. He says, Say to Archippus, Take heed of the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Well, how would you like to be Archippus? And your name's written down for it, because apparently Archippus had a reputation for ministry. Apparently, soon after he was saved, Archippus was, was on fire for the Lord. Hello? Anyone here like that? On fire for the Lord. Handing out tracks, sharing, had this ministry. And then someone traveled from the church of Colossea. And Paul said to that someone, how's Archippus going? You know, he's got himself a job, moved town, sat in the other. Yeah, he comes to church like once a month, sat in the other, you know. And so Paul has to write down to Archippus, Archippus, take heed. That means to look, to be attentive, to focus your eyes on the call of God in your life, that you may fulfill it, that you would fulfill it. Which tells me with Timothy, if we don't, uh, with Archippus, if we don't focus on it, it won't be fulfilled. If we don't fan it, if we don't feed it and fan that fire, it won't be fulfilled in our lives. We grew up uh, in the Salvation Army. I grew up in the Salvation Army. And um, Salvation Army, uh, once a month, we'd have, uh, we'd march into the streets of Hurstful, Hurstful Corps I belong to. And they had the band, and so we'd run and do this outreach down 
down, uh, they'd march, they'd start outside the, the core, the Hurstville core, and the band would be there and they'd all march down with their trombones going, boom, boom. we are Christian soldiers going away like this in there, and they'd get into the centre of um, Hurstville and, and they'd preach the gospel, you know. And that hails back to a time in the 1800s where where they'd have huge outreaches like that. They'd play, they'd play the devil's music. Why should the devil have all the good music? That's, I think, reported to be attributed to someone other than Larry Norman, William Booth possibly. And they'd play the, play the bar songs. And my dad uh, told me because my dad's um, grandfather was an alcoholic who bashed and abused and neglected his family. And so my dad's uh, mother was the first generation Christian in their family. And he said to me, you know, we've noticed, because it's been around Salvation Army for decades, the first generations, they're on fire for God. They're on fire for God. Second generation, yeah, most of them still come to church. Third generation, fallen away. A lot of them have fallen away. How sad it is that that mighty call that, that it could just slip in one generation if we don't fan it, if we don't take heed to it. The ones that were saved that were alcohols, they knew what they'd been saved from. Every morning was a resurrection morning. Every day was fireworks. He had an auntie, he had a great aunt. Her name was Alice, uh, Annie Smythe. Now, Annie Smythe was born in 1878. And uh, apparently she looks, uh, some of our kids, apparently our kids, you know, they've got the Smythe chin. My mum used to say to us, ah, oh, look, they've got the Smythe chin. And we're thinking, who's these Smythe characters? <laughs> uh, someone said, that's Smythe, I can see a Smythe in you. Apparently you, got, you know, look a bit like Smythe. Who's Smythe? Well, then I was going through Dad's photos the other week and we're pulling out all these photos when Dad was a kid and all that sort of stuff. And I come across this lady in an old Salvation Army uniform Full black, black hood like this. And she's got five or six little Japanese kids with her. And I flip it over and it says, Annie Smythe. It was 1906, something like that. Annie Smythe, 1906. I said, Dad, who's Annie Smythe? He says, that's your great aunt, my great aunt. Or your great aunt, I can't remember. And her, she was, again, part of the family that were alcoholics. But her sister, it turns out, uh, went to a William Booth meeting in uh, soon after that, the turn, about the turn of the century. Felt the call of God in her life, and so her sister would ride around hand out war cries and, and, and preach into people in pubs, and she'd take little Annie with her. And Annie grew up, child of an alcoholic, alcoholic family, abusive family, knowing that God had called her to greatness, knowing that it didn't end at the resurrection. It doesn't end at salvation. The call is great on your life. So Annie, she finished, she graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in like 1906. Now come on, that's women's lib. Amen? And then she went into the Salvation Army Training Corps in 1907, she was sent to Japan. And they asked her one stage, where do you want to go? And she said the William Booth Christ, she said, send me to the worst of them. And so she went to the prostitutes 
in Tokyo, the red light district, the prostitute dens in Tokyo. Now, if you know anything about Japanese culture, how shameful that would be. And anyone who was in there associating them were often yelled at, abused, thrown at, threatened, physically assaulted. But word of the ministry got to the emperor, the Japanese emperor, and he, he wrote them a pass, he wrote them permission to minister to the prostitutes in downtown Tokyo. This is little Annie, child of an alcoholic, got saved, realised the fireworks doesn't finish at the resurrection. <laughs> There's other people that need those fireworks, guys. There's other people that need those fireworks. She stayed there to 1942. 1942. She stayed in Tokyo. And instead of rounding her up to send her to prison or war camp, because she, we think because she had this pass from the emperor that they actually said, you may leave and return to Wellington where she came from. And to think, guys, to think that the next generation could lose it or the generation after that could lose it if we don't fan it, if we don't keep it alive. God's call is on all of us. It's bigger than us. It's beautiful. He knew us. The Bible says before we are born, he knew us. He said, I have consecrated you. I have set you aside. I have set you aside for great things. We've been set aside for the glory of God to be manifest in our life because it doesn't end with our fireworks, the resurrection. It doesn't end with us. It goes out so other people can see the fireworks of the life in Christ. Then it doesn't end with our generation. Who knows it's not going to end? Parents, who knows it's not going to end? with us amen is not going to end with us in our line hallelujah not because it's me 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 because it's him 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 because the call of God's on our life he said I knew you before you were born he said I consecrated you I set you aside he said then I appointed you I could do with being appointed by the Most High God. You like that? I mean, has anyone been appointed to a job? You think you always so you wake up and the boss says, I want you to do this, and you're feeling pretty important, aren't you? You're feeling pretty important. I'm now head waitress. Woo-ah! You know? Yeah! All right? But to be appointed by the Most High God? And you got your little box of fireworks with you. I'm going to take these fireworks where I go now. I'm going to light them and light the resurrection. People could see the resurrection of Jesus Christ in my life because I, He knew me. I want you to say this with me. He knew me. Say it again. He knew me. He knew me. He consecrated me. You didn't get to this seat by yourself, guys. He laid out the path. He consecrated you. He protected you. I was hit head-on collision with a Kingswood on the Dorigo Highway. Kaboom. And I, I end up in hospital. And I hear, hear the voice. One of the only times I've heard like an audible voice. And he said, you are not your own son. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your, with your body. He consecrated us. And he appointed us. What's he appointed us to? To take fireworks to our community, fireworks to our workplace, fireworks to our family. Here, watch this. And everyone go, wow, what's God doing in your life? Thank you for listening. We trust that you've been encouraged by the message. Please consider leaving a review and subscribing to receive new content. For more information about Redeemer Coast,
www.redeemacoast.com or find us on social media where our handles are at Redeemer Coast. Until next time.